This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. This is Rocks to Roots, conservation conversations from the backyard to the back 40, produced by the Spokane Conservation District. We are back. We're back for season five, Dwayne. Season five already. That's amazing. Who, who would have thought? Just apparently our uh, our listeners would have thought. Yes, I guess so. Yes. So shout out to all of our listeners um, for supporting us and listening to all of our great episodes. We have 42 episodes oh, wow. produced so far. So... And we just keep rocking and rolling. Yeah. How was everything up at the farm this last season? Well, it's been an uh, interesting season. We'll mm-hmm. say it, we'll just leave it at that. But uh, <laughs> we're moving into our fall crops. We're uh, removing all of our summer tomatoes and eggplants and all that stuff. So um, spinach, lettuce, greens, here we come. Yeah. And you guys still have the farm stands going on on Wednesdays and Saturdays, correct? Wednesdays and Saturdays, we still cool. have our farm stand. The only thing that has stopped so far is our big Dina run when we go up to Shadle and um, share the love. So that one's done for the season. Done for the season. All right. Well, make sure you go get that fresh veg and help them um, fulfill the end of your season. And Saturdays, what time? Uh, Saturdays, nine to one and Wednesdays, three to six. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, we are. I mean, yesterday was the official first day of fall season. Yeah, you could definitely feel it in the air. Um, Things are busy over at the Spokane Conservation District. We are gearing up for our Farm and Food Symposium, which will be taking place November 9th and 10th down at the Centennial Hotel. We are going to be hosting Rick Clark. He is a farmer from Indiana and a leader in the regenerative agriculture movement. So we are super excited to host him and have him there um, to speak on regenerative ag and all the practices that he's implemented on his farm. So um, if you have any questions, uh, make sure you reach out to us, SpokaneCD.org, and you can find all of the additional information on our site. Well, let's go ahead and let's jump into our first episode of season five. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Kara Odegaard, the City Council Manager of Sustainability Initiative. So thanks for joining us, Kara. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be your first episode of your new season. So thanks. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And today we are specifically talking about the Spokane Sustainability Subcommittee. Great. Yeah. Yeah, that's a project near and dear to my heart. So I'm glad you've invited me here to talk about this. Yeah. Well, so before we get in, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and just kind of your connection to Spokane? Well, I am born and raised. Uh, I grew up uh, what is now called the Westwood Hills. Um, We didn't call it that back then, but up uh, Sunset Highway. And my both my parents were, grew up here as well. Uh, my mom grew up in Glen Rose, which uh, is probably one of the most well-known houses around. We know it now as the Christmas light house. Oh, um, I don't cool. know if you've been out there every year, but the new person who lives there, he puts on a very uh, extravagant Christmas light uh, festival during the um, winter months. So yeah, um, cool. I'm really happy. That That's going to be awesome. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm not sure that all the neighbors love it because the traffic <laughs> gets crazy, but um no, I'm really happy to be back in Spokane. I, I um, like I said, grew up here, but um, went and to the University of Washington, and lived in Seattle for about 15 years before moving back to Spokane in 2006. Okay. Yeah. And what do you call yourself since you left and came back? Uh, we, I think we're called boomerangers. Boomerangers. <laughs> I like nice. it. It's a good yeah. term. <laughs> yeah, I do. I like that term too. So um, did you do anything fun this summer or explore any parts of Spokane or anything mm. new? This summer, I um, yeah, I, I did not explore locally, but what we did, uh, my 13-year-old son, Harold, and I uh, went on a three-week road trip uh, cross-country to North Carolina. Um, and just really, I haven't seen most of the center part of the country, so it was a really great experience for me 
driving through and really getting to see um, parts of the country that I haven't seen before. Yeah, I'm sure my 13-year-old was bored out of his mind, <laughs> but we had a great time. Um, so I actually just got back from North Carolina. Oh. I was at the Outer Banks um, for a wedding over there, and that was right. my first time over there. So that was really cool to go and check Did that out. Did you see any lightning bugs when you were over there? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, jealous. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was intentionally looking for them. So <laughs> Nice. So you left Spokane um, to go over to the West Side for a little bit, and you came back. So what brought you back to Spokane? Was it work? Was it family? A family. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mostly my mom had been trying to bribe me to come home for many years, and finally the time was right. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So how did you first get started with um, the Spokane Sustainability Subcommittee? Good question. Um, and it's funny to think back that long, I, I, I mean, in terms of... Years, it's not that many years ago, but in early 2019, I was hired by um, Spokane City Council to um, form what at the time was a Sustainability Action Committee uh, that was created by ordinance uh, as a way to uh, provide recommendations and strategies um, that would help the city accomplish our 100% renewable energy goals. Okay, cool. And uh, for a few reasons, we were, what, what city council decided on was a subcommittee of their um, public infrastructure and environmental sustainabilities committee. So our volunteer subcommittee reports up directly through one of city council's own committees. Okay, and uh, yeah, so we came together to look at a 2009 plan that many people didn't even know that the city had. In 2009, under the um, then mayor, Mary Verner, uh, the city had created a pretty forward-thinking sustainability action plan that outlined ways in which the city of Spokane could move forward in reducing carbon emissions and creating a more sustainable city for, um, for our residents. Um, that plan, however, did not get implemented. Mm. And so 11 years passed between the time that plan was um, passed or had been created to um, the time where the city council decided, hey, listen, we're not making progress on our goals and we really need to take a look at what a meaningful action plan would look like for us in 2019, 2020. So mm -hmm. that's how we got started. Um, should I keep going? Tell yeah. you more about well, that. I'm curious. So why didn't the original one get implemented? Yeah. Well, Mary Verner uh, lost her re-election campaign the okay. following year. And the new administration did not prioritize um, sustainability and climate action. Okay. And so it just took um, a few years for a city council. So then um, it was city council president Ben Stuckert and um, district two council member Brian Beggs, who really pushed forward to kickstart or, or reinvigorate the um, initiatives around sustainability and climate action. Okay. Um, so I want to kind of start here because the word sustainability can encompass a lot of things and it can be interpreted yeah. um, in many different ways. So what would you or how does the Spokane Sustainability Subcommittee really define sustainability? Mm. Yeah, that is a really good question. And I would encourage your listeners to go on this um, Sustainability Action Subcommittee's website on the city's web page on the city's website. Uh, we spent a fair amount of time really thinking about that mm -hmm. because as soon as we started getting into the actual policies that were being recommended, it was really very difficult to separate out, for example, waste strategies without considering um, the people who were being impact by, impacted by where we um, locate you know, where we locate waste facilities, for example. Yeah. And it became, so it became very obvious to us early on that we were going to have to look at a broader definition of sustainability in order to make sure that we weren't, weren't creating any unintentional harms to people or the environment when we were looking at, um, you know, climate policies. The other 
the third piece of that, and I'm sure you've all heard about the triple bottom line um, philosophy, but the third piece of that is the economics. So you look at the people, the policies um, affecting the planet or the environment, but also um, how much is this going to cost? What burdens are this are these policies going to put financially on people? Uh, so as we are starting to think about this um, really very seriously uh, in 2020, we had a couple things happen. We had COVID mm-hmm. hit us in March. And soon after, um, there was a big social movement, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, which had been going on, um, had been geared up after the murder of George Floyd. And so um, something that we had already been thinking about was right there in our face. You know, we started hearing from uh I think it was a Harvard School of Medicine put out a report on how uh, the COVID uh, virus and the diseases or the illness associated with COVID was really impacting people who were uh, living on, for example, living around high um, traffic corridors. So there was a correlation between where you lived and whether or not you had um, a a serious um, response to covid and so it was really hard for us to sit back and just kind of ignore that. We were we mm-hmm. were very intentional about how we decided to move forward and make sure that we were looking at all aspects of living in Spokane. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So the SAS having such a broad scope, uh, how many members do y'all have involved? <laughs> so great question. And I love this um, because we struggled with that as well. In the beginning, uh, city council took applications to be on the subcommittee, but at the time, uh, council, who's now our council president, Brian Beggs, decided that he didn't want to turn people away. So we started out with 23 members. All 23 of them had applied for the subcommittee. They were welcomed to join us. And the idea here was what um, council president Beggs calls the democratization of policymaking, and I repeat this often because I really believe that uh, I really believe in it. And it, the idea here is that we're inviting experts from different fields like transportation, energy, um, and natural environment, ecosystems, water experts. We're inviting them to come and to provide their specific expertise to help drive the policy making. And so as we started building our subcommittee and forming the methods of our work, we picked up quite a few members along the way. And so by the time the the sustainability action plan, as you see on our website, passed in last October, we had probably somewhere between 50 and 60 people who had contributed to that plan. Wow. Uh, and during uh, the f- the following six months where we were going out and being very intentional around our engage, engagement and getting feedback from the public, we gained more interest. And so uh, we are rather large. Um, some folks have, you know, cycled out and some folks have joined us and we are on paper. I think we have about 50, somewhere around 50 people, but not all of us go to the same meetings. They're just contributing from their perspective. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And all volunteer. All volunteers. And it's quite amazing, actually. We've been um, people from other jurisdictions across the state who are just starting this work have reached out to us and wanted to know what our budget was and who we hired. And honestly, it was, I cannot thank the members of the subcommittee enough. We were so fortunate um, the only paid staff was myself and the rest of this effort was um, driven by the volunteers who spent hours donating their time. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's and great. one little more call out, I will say that Eastern Washington University's depart- art department and um, graphic design and photography departments contributed to the photography and the visual arts in the plan and Gonzaga University's Environmental Studies program provided a lot of research for us, their students. So without those partnerships, you know, it would be a very different plan. Mm-hmm. I think we're very fortunate to have that here in Spokane. Very cool. Very cool to have such a large collaborative um, mm-hmm. for the broad scope Absolutely. of work that you guys are contributing to. 
Um, so the primary task of the um, Spokane Sustainability Subcommittee was to um, look over that, uh, tell me. 2009. 2009. 2009. Um, sustainability, sustainability Action Plan. Action Plan. Okay. And so how did you tackle that? How did you jump in? What was kind of like those first steps of looking at that plan? Mm. Um, kind of walk us through, you know, how you then got to wh- where you are with this new plan. Yes. You know? It was a process. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, and honestly, we didn't exactly know. There wasn't, uh, we didn't immediately have access to a checklist, for example, on how to approach this. Uh, and so Part of the me- the method for us, first of all, we had two two of those original members from the 2008 task force, Mayor Verner's task force, on our subcommittee. So we're really fortunate to have oh, that okay. nice. institutional knowledge uh, to help guide us. The other, um, there are other t- two other th- uh, projects that I think are really important. And now that we've done this once, I can look back and and start putting the pieces here. But before you can go forward and create a comprehensive climate action plan, you have to have two other pieces of information. One, you have to have a comprehensive greenhouse gas inventory. You have to know where your emissions are coming from. Mm -hmm. And the second piece that I think is really important is understanding your climate vulnerability. What specific climate impacts will we see in our region? So in my mind, we had those two things. uh, And then I will say this was another example of a partnership with Gonzaga University. Their civil engineering department had just completed our most recent greenhouse gas inventory using uh, internationally recognized protocols for doing greenhouse gas emission inventories. So we had very good data. The second piece uh, was a the, the climate impact report that we had was a program, <clears throat> again, all volunteers um, from our community got together uh, under a NOAA-sponsored climate initiative called the Research Impacts, um, it was RESA, Research Impacts Science and and Assessments. Okay, first of all, if you work in government, there are far too many acronyms. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Trying to keep these... straight. But we had um, this great opportunity to work with the the people out of Oregon State University who were managing this RESA program for NOAA. And they came to Spokane and they gave us the climate tools. So we, what I won't bore you with um, what downscale climate modeling looks like, because I, I am not the right person to uh, describe that to you. But basically what they provided us was a way for us to take these very generalized climate models and understand specifically how forecasts were going to impact Spokane. So we looked at a few different uh, impact areas and what we found were that we, there were a few um, projections that we think we thought uh, at the time, and we know now and starting to happen that were going to seriously impact the people living here. One the number of high heat days that we're starting to see is going to increase. We've experienced that recently. Um, last year in 2021, we lost, um, at least there, the estimate is at least 20 Spokane residents to the heat dome that we experienced mm-hmm. in June. Uh, and the one of the other most visible impacts that we're seeing are an increase in wildfire smoke, which is, an, again, if you layer that on top of some of the impacts people living in certain parts of town already have, like uh, exposure to high traffic areas, like I mentioned before, um, if you have underlying conditions like asthma or heart problems, then these increased days of smoke is really going to impact your your health and your ability to live um, a healthy life. Mm-hmm. And so we having that data also was a guiding um, factor in the sustainability plan. And I'll just really quickly say another piece of that is a shift in our um, per- precipitation uh, trends. And I, I hope we get to talk about water at some point today because mm-hmm. I think uh, water is 
a very important aspect to any community. But in Spokane, we are really fortunate to have the Spokane River and um, also the, the Spokane Aquifer. So what we found during that climate research is that we're starting to see a shift from the smoke, uh, snow-based watershed to more of a rain-based watershed. And that has implications to our, um, the timing of an availability of water for us. Mm-hmm. And so we use those two reports to help l- really think about what are some of the priorities specific to Spokane that we should make sure that our decision makers, our business owners, our nonprofits, our community in general is really looking at and, and to help better prepare us for a future where we can all be here and live happy and healthy lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you brought up water. And so let's just let's dive into it then. Um, so what really are the focuses for um, the subcommittee when it comes to our river and our aquifer yeah. and the work you guys do? Well, so I'll just start with sharing a statistic that often shocks people. And that is in Spokane County, we use uh, more water than 98% of the rest of the country. Mm. We, on average, in the county, these are county-wide numbers, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, who tracks this data, um, we use around 220 gallons of water per person per day. Wow. Whereas the national average is 79. Oh, And so... We're spoiled. (laughs) We're spoiled, and that is not a sustainable use of a resource. No. And... um, you know, I, I'd love to hear your um, perspective as a farmer, but, you know, we we have this perception in Spokane that we have this never-ending supply of water. Mm-hmm. And what we're starting to see based on um, hy- data coming from our regional hydrologists that understand that pumping in the aquifer during the summer months where we are getting the lowest flows from mountain snow, right? We're not getting as much runoff in the summer months as we are in the spring, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, pumping from the aquifer does impact uh, river flows and levels of the Spokane River because the Spokane River at times along its journey is contributing water to our aquifer and at other times it's being refreshed or gaining water from our aquifer. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, I think if you ask people, they would all, people living in Spokane, we all have a different relationship to our river, right? And some folks depend on it as a source for fishing and recreation. Um, Others, it's a cultural, um, something that's sacred for them, culturally speaking. But I'd be willing to bet that almost everybody in Spokane would say that the Spokane River is a value that we should all cherish, something that we should be cherishing and protecting. In fact, um, one of the things that we did going into the writing the sustainability plan is we sent out a survey asking um, Spokane residents, you know, what they thought about specific aspects around climate and the environment. And even people who were not concerned about climate change still said that um, they they um, reported that they thought it was extremely important for the city of Spokane to protect the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll see in our sustainability action plan that we have some very specific asks um, and policy recommendations around ensuring water quality and water quantity. Um not just for human consumption, but also for healthy ecosystems um, and the non-humans who live here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I can. I could talk about this for a while. I'll, I'll try not to ramble too no, much. No, some of these rough. Well, that's great, and I'm glad to hear the work. And I know that you know we recently um, had the water ordinance mm. um, come out. And right. Thanks so, for bringing me back to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and. Um, you know, people have different opinions on it, but the, our river and our water here mm-hmm. is a natural resource that we, you know, absolutely depend upon. Right. And so um, I saw some um, posters out in the yards and it was mm. uh, keep something with gold and green. Oh, Remind yeah. me. Go, go, 
Go Gold to Save Blue, I think. Yeah, is, I think that. Yeah. yeah so here's a, t- a chance for me to shout out to Kristen Zimmer and this um, Water Conservation and Water Department, Spokane City. They are doing amazing work and have been. Um, the Go Gold to Save Blue campaign came out a couple years ago to help encourage people to kind of let go of that perception that our grass has to be green uh-huh. all the time and to say, hey, it's okay, right? We understand that we have really hot, dry summers in Spokane. Let's embrace that. Uh, the Spokane Fire Department was one of the first um, organizations to step up and really also embrace that campaign. So you'll see in the summer um, those signs out in the fire department yards mm-hmm. at the fire stations. So also kudos to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and another program now that you asked, Hillary, I think is a really um, wonderful program is uh, City's Spokanescape program, Yes, which will actually save you money and provide you a refund on your water bill if up to $500 um, if you choose to replace water-hungry uh, grass turf in your yard with uh, low-water drought-tolerant plants. Um, and I can say that I personally did this. Well, I, I shouldn't say I, my husband and I did this. <laughs> he deserves a lot of the credit because he did a lot of the heavy work. It's not always easy removing mm-hmm. grass. And I think we did it the, the absolute hardest way you could. <laughs> um, but we, we, we replaced our grass with um, native plants and, and chose intentionally to put in a lot of flowering plants and it's been incredible watching how many of the native bumblebees are in our yard. We've had, I mean, I know this is probably happens everywhere, but we had some volunteer plants that just showed up, uh, some wild, like truly wild strawberries started growing in our yard, oh, which was awesome. kind of fun. And yeah. we've been seeing a lot more insect activity and bird activity. So there's a lot of benefits to switching to more native landscaping. Yes. It's been fun. Yeah. The Spokanescape, we did have um, Kyle Merritt was on oh, yeah, the Kyle's podcast. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the work that they do and just that whole program is amazing. Also their WaterWise program mm-hmm. as well. Um, so yeah, really good stuff going on over there. You can get a hundred dollar rebate for a toilet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> for a new low flow toilet. And I love that my job allows me to talk about toilets. Yes. <laughs> heck yeah. <laughs> So, um, so we just talked about water, um, and I kind of want to talk about some of the other natural resources that you guys address mm-hmm. with um, your planning and the work that you do. Yeah, so uh, a lot of our focus has been around helping to meet the state goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have local go- goals here for, like I mentioned, um, we set a goal, and I think it was 2018 to have 100% uh, renewable energy in the city of Spokane, but we've also, the state has since passed several other state climate goals, including um, becoming net neutral by 2050, that meaning that we're not putting out more carbon into the atmosphere than we are um, taking out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we did focus a lot on, on our heavy emissions areas. And so as I mentioned earlier, we talked about a greenhouse gas inventory. And what our gas greenhouse gas inventory told us is that n- since in the city of Spokane, we have very little industrial um, emissions within the city limits, what we're looking at is a high percentage of our, our contribution comes from uh, the on-road transportation sector and, then, and also um, the built environment. So almost 50-50 in terms of percentages um, are from buildings and from transportation. Mm -hmm. And so if you look through the plan, you will see um, some strategies that identify ways in which we can start decarbonizing our buildings and our built environment. Uh, There's a really great example of how you might do this in a larger building at the the Catalyst Building in Spokane, which is a partnership with McKinstry and Avista and others it um, as was at one time and may still be, but technology moves fast, the most um, efficient building in the entire country. 
Um, and now Eastern Washington is, um, has um, some of their engineering students that work out of that building, but it's just on the south landing of the um, University Bridge, so really great example. Um, and then you'll also see a lot of land use and transportation recommendations in the plan to help reduce our vehicle miles traveled, uh, which means promoting more transit, promoting more bicycle and pedestrian forms of transportation, um, looking at uh, maybe just working from home one or two days a week to help reduce some of that um, emissions from your vehicles. We've had great partnership with Avista and Spokane Regional Transportation Council, Urbanova, um, STA. In um, just a year ago, we won a really we won the largest award from the Department of Commerce in the state of Washington, just $2.5 million to um, increase our infrastructure for electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. nice. So we're currently working with our partners on that project, which is really exciting. Uh, if you have an opportunity to stop by the Central Library and or the Shadow Library, you can find information about whether or not an electric vehicle is right for you. So some people might have hesitations because it's a, it's a very different technology for, for driving. Mm -hmm. um, I know we did. You, you know, how do you charge it? Uh, how do you maintain it? All that information is available um, at, the at those two libraries, so I recommend going there. Um, we also, so you asked about natural resource actions in the plan. Um, so one of the work groups that we have in the sustainability subcommittee is um, the natural environment uh, work group. And they focus on, as you might imagine, the green space mm -hmm. in our community. And some of the recommendations from that, uh, that chapter in the plan are actually already underway, which is really exciting. It includes a partnership with Spokane Parks Department on how we might reduce chemical use in our, in our parks. So uh, we have a pilot project at Chief Gary Park going on right now where we're doing a natural turf management, which um, avoids the use of chemical uh, insecticides or fertilizers. And, and so that's been a great awesome. partnership we've had with Beyond Pesticides, which is a national organization. Um, we also have um, partners with the Lands Council and others um, throughout the city planting trees. Mm -hmm. So the Spokanope project's underway with, uh, that is a partnership with the city of Spokane and the lands council, but there are other organizations out there, um, planting trees and the, and Gonzaga's university's climate center for climate society and the environment, which, um, that would be another great yeah. uh, person to have on, um, Dr. Brian Henning, who started that, um, it's been going on for about a year. They've already done some great work. They this summer they went underwent a um, heat island mapping uh, program project where they actually went out three times during a hot summer day, morning, noon, and and evening, to take temperature readings across the entire city, and. What we what that project did for us is give us really concrete data for what we already suspected that communities who live in areas with low tree cover or low canopies from trees are experiencing much higher temperatures than the neighborhoods who have high tree coverage. Mm -hmm. So when you asked me early on about sustainability and how we define that, Here's a really great example or how, how we're bringing in um, equity into the conversation. When we are looking to invest in increasing tree canopy across the city, uh, currently we're at 23% on average. We're not going to just go sprinkle those trees evenly across the city. We know right now in the Comstock and Manitoba Park neighborhoods of Spokane, for example, the tree canopy coverage is close to 40%, whereas in um, certain neighborhoods in the northeast part of Spokane is as low as 9 or 11%. So what we were going to um, do and what the Lands Council is already doing is really putting our efforts into bringing up those tree canopies 
in the parts of the city that actually need the coverage the most. Um, so that's an adaptation um, strategy that will help provide better health outcomes for people during those high heat days because we're going to have more shade. Um, so that's an example mm -hmm. of the work that's already underway. We have a lot more work to do and it's incredibly expensive to plant trees and it really requires commitment from people to actually water and take care of those trees once we have them in the ground. So it is a partnership with everybody who lives here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The canopy, yeah, the canopy is a huge, um, important thing for, yeah, our county to have and, um, just the quality of life in those neighborhoods and yeah, being able to have those canopies there. So great work with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I can't take credit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the power of partnerships, I got to yeah. say what a, I mean, it's amazing to hear about all these partnerships that you've, you know, developed and um, have worked with. And so congratulations to you yeah. with that, all that great work. So the action plan is published and it yes. is online. And so our listeners can go and take a look at it. And where can they go and look at it? Um, it's at myspokanecity.org. And if you go to the city's webpage, just the easiest way to find it is to put into the search SAS or Sustainability Action Subcommittee. And you'll find on there um, a couple pieces of, I think, of very useful information. You'll find the entire sustainability action plan that was adopted by city council uh, last October. So you'll see that plan there. There's It's 80 pages, which is a lot, but... It includes a lot of beautiful photography from the Eastern Washington students. Um, it also is broken down into a high-level summary and by chapter. So if you're only interested, for example, in water resources, you can go directly to that chapter. The other piece of information I think is important that you'll find on that website um, is all of the data and information that we, um, that our water resource collaboration group put together uh, that led up to the um, water conservation and drought response ordinance, Hillary, that you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. people asked, uh, have asked us a lot of questions. They're surprised when they hear how much water Spokane users um, consume. They're also surprised to hear about the interaction between the aquifer and the river. Mm -hmm. You can see a lot of that information in that report. So I would recommend go there. Um, and if I can do one more plug, yes, the um, Spokane City's Fleets Department just recently um, created, I think it's a five-year green fleet plan, and that report has just come out this week, so we hope to have it up on the website soon as well, but it, it's really encouraging to see all of the efforts being done at the city level, but also regionally um, to help uh, everybody's doing their part. I think just having a framework and a commitment that we can all work towards has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to see a lot of things come of it. Very cool. And another thing I wanted to talk about too was um, you did get some public opinion back for um, creating this new action plan, correct? Mm -hmm. How were you able to interact with the public and get those answers? Yeah, so that was tough because we were still um, in the midst of COVID mm -hmm. when we had right. our draft plan. Uh, so we did almost entirely online engagement, uh, We, with some exceptions. So we had an online survey where we asked people to kind of weigh in on how important they thought certain aspects of the plan um, were what they wanted the city to prioritize because mm -hmm. we feel like there's so much in that plan, right? There's over 200 different actions that have been identified. We're going to have to prioritize and start somewhere. So we really wanted input from the community on what was most important for them. We also um, held three online workshops um, so to where we ha we had a presentation in that that video presentation is still on the website, so you can watch it if you want. I think it's like a 23-minute video that walks you through the process and the meaning and the intention behind the plan. Um, but we 
offered to go to any community group that wanted us to come and present to them and answer questions. And so we went to, we had over 30 engagements at different organizations that invited us to come or including the workshops we hosted, uh, including a couple um, community events that we participated in, the Unity in the Community event that happens in August. We were there. Um, and uh, we, we we did one in-person uh, event at um, Rockwood Retirement Home. They have a green team that invited us to come, and it was actually really well attended. There were like 60 people. I love that. that. It was great. Um, and the one, you know, we got a lot of feedback just having those conversations. And one of the, a question that was asked almost every time was, what are you doing at the county level? What are you doing to engage Spokane Valley? What are you doing to get the our neighboring cities to mm-hmm. engage in this conversation? And so I have to say, I, I'm really appreciative of what you all are doing here on this Rocks to Roots podcast and actually reaching out beyond the city of Spokane because there's no border that, you know, for us to where we're only breathing Spokane air <laughs> right. or we're only yeah. drinking Spokane water. This is a real regional uh project and we need collaborations across the county to make it work Mm -hmm. yep absolutely um i'm curious when you did get you know some of those public opinion was there anything that surprised you that maybe Mm -hmm. wasn't on your guys's radar that well it's hard to say that something wasn't on our radar because we had so many different individuals looking from their perspective. Very but true. <laughs> the one thing that did surprise me is that we had a pretty consistent group of folks saying that this um, plan didn't go far enough, mm. that um, we weren't being aggressive enough on our carbon reduction. We weren't being um, aggressive enough on our green space um, protections. And in that conversation, often in- it included a conversation around our economic policies. Mm. You know, what what is our economic policies this this uh now i'm speaking for myself i'm not speaking for any political or or elected official this is kara odegaard telling you (laughs) but what are our economic policies of you know constant growth and um you know increase you know just always be growing what does that say and how is that impacting our ability to protect our river, our ability to protect green space, um, to bring salmon back to our waterways, mm-hmm. right? So um, there were a lot of conversations, and one um, there are different there are different models out there, but one model kept coming up was uh, this model of donut economics. Um, it's a concept that really looks at, and I'm now that I'm on this podcast, I'm not remembering the woman's name that she's an economist out of um, in the UK, but she talks about this sweet spot between the ecological ceiling, like how far we can go out before we can no longer survive because we've completely used up all of our um, natural resources versus um, the social aspects of um, not using enough or living in a space of scarcity, for example, that's, you know, where people, you know, are not, not everybody has the same access to housing or food mm-hmm. or a good paying job. Right. And there is, there are models out there that are looking at things a little more holistically than I think we have traditionally in this country and keeping those uh, economic policies completely insulated from our environmental policies, for example, right? Mm -hmm. We can't do that. Our economics don't exist outside our environment, Mm -hmm. right? And so how we move forward in with that mindset is really a question that surprised me that so many of our residents were asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Spokane is growing tremendously. I mean, the population and yeah, looking at population too mm-hmm. um, and how that kind of affects the plan or impacts the plan. Um, how has that changed over the last, you know, couple of years? And 
Our, you mean our perspective on population growth? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I can only speak for those of us who worked on the plan. Um, there are there's strategies outlined and mentioned in the plan that talk about um, increasing density, which means growing up instead of out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very simplified definition. <laughs> and uh, so from my perspective, the the people, those of us who were working on the plan didn't have a stated per- position on population growth. Like, we know that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We can't keep people from moving here. Right. Uh, but this other, this narrative around scarcity of us not having enough room or enough food or enough space, that. That's a false narrative, I think. Again, me speaking here, we have enough. It's how we share those resources, mm-hmm. right? How we make those um, resources accessible to people. And it's really where we as human beings are prioritizing, right? What are we prioritizing? I'm using an example that probably doesn't happen, but large shopping malls, I don't think we do that anymore. But, <laughs> you know, are we prioritizing that or are we looking at um, making housing affordable, right? Mm-hmm. And so that conversation happened. There are strategies outlined in the Sustainability Action Plan and the Transportation and Land Use Chapter. And we still have a lot more to talk about. You know, we have strategies outlined in that plan about making our cities and neighborhoods more livable and walkable. But what does that mean, right? What does livability mean to people? And that it differs, you know, where you're coming from. And so I think before, and and, and not to say that we aren't already taking action because we are, the city of Spokane recently passed a, a, I'm, they, they call it a missing middle, um, but it's a, pilot program. It's a year-long program that allows you to build duplexes, fourplexes, and um, I think even higher, um, but within any city neighborhood of Spokane, whereas before there were real serious restrictions around um, those types of higher density housing. Mm. So we're looking at what that might might be for Spokane, but we're also having on the having to have more conversations that include more community input, right? On what does livability mean? Does Mm -hmm. it mean I'm able to walk to my grocery store and my doctor's appointments? Or does that mean I'm living in a city where I've got, you know, six lanes of traffic Mm -hmm. that I can move really quickly to get to a grocery store that may be, you know, 15 miles away. I don't don't know. Um, But there are conversations that need to be had and, I, again, will stress it can't just be the city of Spokane alone. Mm-hmm. It needs to be the entire region. Um, so what is like your priority or your focus right now for the subcommittee? What are you guys working on right now? Right now. So as we talked about earlier, the city council adopted the plan in October of uh, last year, which is almost an enti- a year ago. And because there are so many strategies outlined, we were asked to start prioritizing where the city or where we as a community should start putting our resources. And so the subcommittee is currently working on um, taking the the entirety of the plan and narrowing it into um, a couple categories. First, which actions in the plan are could be qualified as quick and easy actions. Those are actions that maybe don't cost a lot of money that have broad political support. So let's identify those and make sure that we start working on those sooner. The other thing that we've asked the members of the subcommittee to look at is, okay, now that um, we've got this entire plan, what are the top priorities? What are those actions that if we moved on now would make the most impact in terms of environmental protections, in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, in terms of equity, you know, creating more equitable neighborhoods and livable neighborhoods. So we're asking the subcommittee to really identify those. And that's what we hope to have accomplished by the end of this year. And for a couple of reasons, one, the federal government has come down with um, some pretty remarkable funding opportunities that are coming um, including 
climate and um, environmental funding for um, from the uh, I can never remember the acronym the the Inflation Reduction Act mm-hmm. and the um, the bipartisan Infrastructure Act. There's there's money in there for transportation for um, clean buildings. Uh, one of the things that might be interesting to your listeners, there is a new um, $8,000 tax rebate for anyone who is looking to um, replace a gas furnace with a um, electric heat pump that will start in January. So $8,000 is a pretty great um, piece of that cost. So it really helps. There's also going to be increased um, subsidies for solar, for electric vehicles. Um, so there's a lot happening uh, that I think we as a region will need to be prepared for in terms of those fundings. Coming down. Mm-hmm. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when all those fundings come out and all those programs happen, uh, can you go to the MySpokane website to find out that they're active at the times? Actually, that's a really great idea. Um, <laughs> I, I love that idea. Just to find out what the incentives are. Yes. I'm going to put that down on my list of things to, to look Because <laughs> right now they're not on there. Um, right now we we as a city are still trying to figure out what public funding is going to be available. Because uh, I've been told and the way I understand it, a lot of those federal funds will come through state agencies. And... Um, the so there is a tax um, incentive for both purchasing an electric vehicle and and the one I mentioned about heat pumps that's coming next year, but those credits are applied to you when you do your taxes. Okay. So, uh, maybe we should put them up there. Let people know. It would help people like me that aren't yeah. the greatest in the know. So yeah. Well, it is oftentimes very complex to navigate. So I I think that's a great suggestion. <laughs> So with all the great work going on, um, how can our listeners um, contribute or help um, push forward or, um, sorry, lost it. <laughs> yeah, what can they do to participate? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple Support great- your efforts. Right. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. So a couple things you can do. Um, one, we established a website uh, last year called Sustainable Spokane. Um, I think it's sustainablespokane.org. This website is a website that's funded and sponsored through Spokane City Council that allows individual households to go on and input your um, resource usage. So you can, you it's a one-time setup. You, you go on there, you um, write down what or you input what your energy use is, uh, how many miles you drive your car, what kind of car you drive, how you eat, how you just, you know, recycle. And it will give you concrete ways to improve on your resource use. So how to save water, how to save energy. And the great thing about this resource is that almost all of these actions are associated with cost savings. So it's not just about saving the planet. It's also about saving your pocketbook. So please go to sustainablespokane.org for that. Um, You already mentioned, Hillary, about Spokanescape, which I think is another great program the city has. But um, probably the most important thing you can do is ask questions. Um, Catherine Hayhoe, who's a pretty well-known climate um, scientist that talks about uh, climate change said so the most important thing you can do is talk to your family, talk to your coworkers about environmental policy, environmental practices, mm-hmm. um, those sorts of things, and be engaged in your community. Know what your elected fish, officials' po- positions are on climate and the environment. Uh, there is a lot of information out there. Um, Gonzaga's uh, Climate Center hosts a climate candidacy forum every year that ask people running for office about their position. So I would look for that. It's coming up in October. Um, but yeah, just you don't have to go too far um, to find ways to participate. And I think that's the great thing about it. Mm-hmm. And so one other question too, because as we're going into fall and winter season, I think, you know, people really kind of hunker down and, you know, rely on transportation a lot more and things like that um, than per yeah. se. 
summer, spring months, what are some things that we should just keep on our radar, keep in mind as we head into, you know, these fall and winter Mm -hmm. months? Yeah. Well, two things come to my mind when, um, don't forget about our great Spokane transit system here. (laughs) Um, maybe just try taking the bus one day a week. Um, the, the Spokane transit authority is, is starting to increase routes and increase frequencies throughout the city and the region. So find where your closest bus stop is and try taking the bus once or twice a week. For me, I work downtown and it's so convenient to not have to deal with parking. So I recommend giving that a try. <laughs> yes. The other thing is, and again, I'm not maybe not going to win points for saying this, but the holidays seasons are coming at season. Maybe think about what it might look like for you to not buy as much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we purchase anything from clothing to whatever we buy on Amazon, right? There's a carbon footprint associated with the making of that thing. Uh, the dyeing of the clothing, for example, how much water do you think it, it takes to make a pair of jeans? Levi's has a water footprint for their jeans. You'd be astonished. Um, And then the transportation costs of transporting that stuff from wherever it came from. So really seriously look at that. I mean, we spend a lot of time and effort cleaning out our homes and doing the Marie Kondo kind of does this bring me joy. And if you think about that before you purchase the item, I think that you would be doing a great service in participating in this larger, larger project. Mm -hmm. So those two things come to mind for me. And, you know, don't stress about it either. Um, Not all of these decisions are up to us, right? We don't ask that our mattresses come wrapped in plastic or that a toothbrush we buy is packaged in a plastic packaging that you have to use scissors to open, (laughs) right? We don't ask for that. Um, And so, you know, there are policy um, legislation that is in the works to start addressing packaging. If you're the type of person that likes to get involved in legislative, in the legislative process, um, look up EPR and um, that's extended producer responsibility laws that starts shifting the burden off of the consumer and putting it onto the producer to make sure that the producer is responsible for the end of life of that non-recyclable bubble plastic packaging that comes on your toothbrush, for for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, those are some thoughts. Um, Happy to chat with anyone. I really love the engagement part of my job. So I really appreciate you having me here today and having this conversation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's just been awesome to learn more about the Spokane Sustainability Subcommittee, the great work you guys are doing. And the focuses that you have. And so thank you for being yeah, here. But we can't let you go quite uh, yet <laughs> without doing our little spitfire round. So okay. our listeners can just get to know you a little bit more on a personal note. So you ready? I, I think, <laughs> does this mean I have to answer really quickly? No, okay. no. actually, these sometimes these go pretty long. <laughs> but I'm ready. Awesome. So you just seem like a well-read individual. What, uh, what book really uh, touched your life? Oh, no. (laughs) There are a lot of them out there. Um, hmm. Well, there's a a book out there. There are a couple books out there related to um, the work I'm doing right now. There's one called All We Can Save. It's a compilation of women in the climate movement. Um, It has poetry, uh, essays, stories. So it's um, all about what these individual women are and how they're contributing. Um, and I highly recommend reading it. It's something that you can pick up and read a little bit at a time. The underlying, uh, message here is that we all have something to contribute. Think about, um, what you're good at and what needs doing and the intersection of those things. Right. So, you know, we need more artists in the climate movement. We need more musicians. We need more storytellers, right? It's not all about energy consumption and, and decarbonization. So that's a great book, All We Can Save. Um, 
Uh, let's see. Well, that I'll just leave it there because I could keep going. But <laughs> let's just maybe stop with that. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to maybe shout out to some of your favorite local places. But um, what are some restaurants mm. that you frequent or love to go to? Yeah. In Spokane? So my absolute favorite restaurant is The Ruins, uh, which Chef Tony Brown um, has had. And they recently moved to a new place on Riverside. So it's difficult to get there under construction, but if you haven't gone, please go. It's worth uh, navigating the construction there. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's safe for me to share this, but I think um, Tony mentioned that his wife's vegan. My husband and I are vegetarians, um, and so we find that there are a lot of places. Or there, it's hard to find good vegetarian food that isn't just a afterthought on a menu, but Tony does an amazing job making it intentional, like delicious vegetarian options. Um, and they also have a really great cocktail menu. So Ooh, yes. it's okay for me to share, <laughs> share <Yes>. that. <laughs> um, so highly recommend The Ruins. That's one of my favorite places. And we have um, we go to Republic Pie because it's close to our house. We go there a lot too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you a dog or a cat person? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like both animals, um, but we have four cats, nice. which please don't judge. Love it. <laughs> we had three cats, and I'll tell this story because it hopefully will embarrass my husband. Um, but we had three cats uh, as a, you know, earlier this year, and we love them. They're great. Um but my husband thought that we needed a cat that was more of a lap cat. So after three, they don't like to just sit on our laps. So he wasn't allowed to go unsupervised into the pet stores because he kept thinking, well, we need just one more. I'm like, no, we don't. So as I mentioned, I was on that road trip this summer. I was away for two weeks. <laughs> oh, and no. he went and adopted a new awesome. little kitten. Her name's Mavis. Oh, And he's lucky she's so cute because... She gets to stay. And we're at the legal limit now of cats. <laughs> what are your other three cats' names? Uh, the two, our first two um, were named our, by our sons. Um, Hailey is named after the Zelda games. My oldest son was really into it at the time. And the his brother, um, the cat brother, is Aoki, uh, which is named after um, my youngest, one of my youngest friend's, son's friends. And then the third cat, um, her name's Teeny, but she's the fattest cat of the four. <laughs> I feel like that always typically happens. Yeah, it, uh, the, the vet warned us. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right. If you could have any superpower, what mm-hmm. would it be? To speak any language. To speak any language, to yes. understand any language. Like that, I don't even have to think about it. I and love that answer. Thanks. I, <laughs> yeah, language is so important, and we have um, we've lost a lot with having such a um, small number of languages that seem to dominate uh, across the world, but in our region in particular. And I just wish um, I had more of that skill. Mm-hmm. Great answer. All right, you want to lead us home with our question we always got to wrap right. up with? The question we always wrap up with, um, <laughs> Rolling Stones or Beatles? Oh, Rolling Stones. <laughs> oh. Favorite song? From the Rolling Stones? <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> I don't know, but I'll tell you why the Rolling Stones over the Beatles is that my um, it was a big favorite band of my father's and so we listened to it growing up uh quite a lot and i actually got to see them live in concert in vancouver british columbia back in 2000 or 1995 oh, dating cool. myself the year i graduated college oh that's awesome cool yeah. <laughs> sorry i'm i'm thinking through all of the playlists in my <laughs> mind but i can't pick a favorite yeah. We're going to have to do some fun tally social media thing with all the answers that we've got. Because I think we're pretty close. I think we're pretty neck and neck. Yeah, even even, with, yeah. I yeah, think that's a really good question, actually. <laughs> yeah. 
my husband and I have had these conversations about the Beatles too. So be curious to see what other people say. Well, and we're rocks to roots. And so that's great. Kind of fits in. So, (laughs) well, Kara, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us today and talk about the Spokane Sustainability Subcommittee. To all of our listeners, make sure you go and check out their website, um, sustainablespokane.org. Also head over to the city's website to take a look at that action plan, dive into it. um, And Yeah, reach out if you have any questions about anything. Thanks for being here. Of course, thanks for having me. (laughs) Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.